There's that tweet. Welcome, everybody, to the Making Awesome Podcast Season 3, Episode 39. It's Father's Day. Well, it's the day before Father's Day. But this is the day that my dad has available, so we actually have Dr. Kenneth Posner with us today. Dad, you know I'm going to ask it for you, so we need the Backstreet Boys. The who you are, the where you're from, the what you did, and as long as you love me. Well, you know, I always love you. Um, that's the that's the benefits of being a dad. But um, let's see who who I am. Um, Ken Posner. Uh, I currently am the Associate Dean of Students at Ringling College of Art and Design in Sarasota, Florida. And I have uh, been there for a little over a year and a half now, but have had a series of jobs over a 40 plus year career only because I can't keep a job, I guess. But um no, I've you been, were at I've your been, last job for like almost 15 years. <laughs> yeah, 15 years at the last one and the one before that was 15 years too. So I guess I I was doing something correct. Guy says but, he can't uh, keep a job but has been at the same was been at the previous job for almost 15 years. All right, come on. But um it's, you know, one one of the things that has been really interesting is over the course of, of that time, you know, think about it uh from the uh invention of the you know the internet and the world wide web all the way through to now we're um, talking on the day before father's day and i do appreciate that because i have a work commitment tomorrow uh, when we welcome about 225 high school juniors and seniors for our uh, pre-college program for a month so um, it is a busy day for me so i'm glad to be able to hang out with you and everybody else's uh, the day before. And those people that are new to the channel might not know, but you have a pretty deep-rooted history in higher education, right? Yeah, I, I, I've been working in higher education um, full-time since 1982, um, served at seven different institutions, um, and probably my, my big claim to fame, if that's what it is, is not only... Um, helping to mentor a lot of, of student affairs professionals throughout the country and and work with them on their careers so they can do bigger and better things than I've ever been able to accomplish. But I love to build new buildings and renovate old buildings. So um, that's where I, I spend a lot of time. And, and currently we're in the process of planning a, a new um, 200 plus bed facility at uh, Ringling. So I'm excited about that. And the last time you planned something like that, you ended up on national television for it. Yeah, we did uh, <laughs> with 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 an episode on uh, Tank for Tanked. our big aquarium. Yep, that's uh, what was the episode title? Oh, learn to love didn't... or love to learn, something like that. Correct. Yeah, that's what it was. Yes, I think it was something like that. So, if you, if you want to see, uh, you know, my dad before he lost a bunch of weight, and me before I put on a bunch of weight, you guys can go find that episode but he's you know dad's one of the stars uh in that and it, higher ed for you has always been student oriented right kind of looking at student life and overseeing students correct and and i usually tell people you know if you think of, of higher education colleges and universities uh it's about the life outside the classroom it's being strategic and purposeful and intentional in planning programs and services that complement what's going on in the academic realm. So it's really co-curricular. Um, 
fortunately or unfortunately, part of my role has always been um, university and college discipline. So um, sometimes I have to be the ba- the bad guy too. Um, but uh, at, at many institutions, I've turned into that institution's uh, dad for many students. Unfortunately, now and you know, with my own children grown, um, I think I'm now now grandpa for uh, most <laughs> students. Well, you actually just had a, a a student visit you from a while back who called you dad. And, yeah, uh, yeah, from two two thousand and nine, we had we had lunch on uh, Thursday. Yeah, and so one, I can't remember people that long. So the fact that you've maintained relationships that long says a lot. But you know, even further, that you have left such an impact on people throughout these years. And you know, you're you're relatively humble, but I I like to toot your horn. You you are Jim Scott Award recipient, um, which is an incredible high award in higher education and you know you're the stuff that you have done has set standards for schools across the nation in terms of things like student life and student housing where you want to integrate not just you know good quality housing move away from dormitories more into residence halls but also life like you said outside of the classroom where they're not seeking something outside of the campus they're able to stay on campus like you know, they did at the previous college where you built game rooms and places like that for students where they could congregate rather than it just be a place where they slept. I thought that was always an interesting thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's important. It's important that colleges and universities really prepare students, not only academically, but to be successful in the world. And the, it's an ever-changing diverse global society that we all have to operate within. And I think it, you know, is in the best interest of the student if at colleges, university administrators can really assist in providing laboratories for students to make critical choices. And, you know, I used to always tell people it's about a formula. It's about taking core values and whether those are your own personal core values or the core values of the school that you're at and combining it with um, making progress on critical thinking skills. And if you take your critical thinking skills and those core values, I guarantee you it turns into good decision making. And that's that's what it's about. Look, we all we all make bad decisions and we have to own up to those quite often. Uh, but it's all about making good decisions. And so I think it's inherent that people in student life or student affairs make opportunities and services and programs and skill development for students so that they can test their decision-making ability so that if they don't make a good decision in a college or university, there's a way that we can assist them in making a better one the next time. It's amazing because they... People hear you say this, but I've watched you live this over the past 30 plus years, or at least the years that I can remember. It is it is really cool. Um, and watching technology grow as well and seeing how you adapt, right? A, a lot of people here, we got some awesome people. I guess I should probably take care of the housekeeping stuff. We got Mad Cat is here, Ajax, Tarzman, 013, it's Jonathan, hey, John. Uh, Spinley Webs is here, uh, Breaker. I always never know how to say it. it's Justin of one of the Remurf, uh guys. Chris Catlett is here. John Stern, Super Caro, Duff. Uh, we got Thomas. Who else is here hanging out? 
and Ben Cox as well. So got a bunch of people here hanging out, enjoying the time. And thank you all for coming. And if you are new, subscribe, leave a like, all the things you should be doing to support uh, the content creators. But it is, uh, it's got to be challenging because a lot of people's parents don't have to really adapt to the change in technology where it's been a requirement for you, especially now that you're in a, a, one of the top art schools in the nation. You have to keep, you know, in touch with technology. And obviously one of those is 3D printing. How has that kind of changed for you and at least your outlook on, you know, kind of the life and the life of the future generations of, of the world? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Grant. I think that as we look at technology and how quickly it changes, it's almost inherently counterproductive to sort of colleges and universities, higher education, because they're relatively slow to change. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like playing catch up. And I think that sometimes that's the issue. Uh, you know, I remember years ago when we started to develop computer labs, um, outside of, you know, if you were a computer science major so that computer labs would be open to all students. You know, when I went to college, we did it on punch cards and it was Fortran and you had a stack of cards like this high. And by the time you were done, you hoped on green bar that it printed out two plus two equal four. Um, you know, and if it was your, your, your program was successful. So, you know, institutions sort of are cyclical and it was, everybody was setting up computer labs you know, and they had the workstations, the individual printers. Then we went to networked printers. Then we said, you know, everybody's bringing laptops. We don't need computers anymore. So now instead of, you know, inkjet printers, let's put laser printers in. And we have central laser printers that all students can print on. But students really want to print on color. So now we have to get color printers. Um, but how do we adjust the, the costs and do those things and make it and be, and be responsible stewards for both, for both the institution, for the student. And, and so we've seen this proliferation of technology change. The, um, you know, eSports is is the probably the biggest change in from a, a student life technology standpoint. The only sport um, I have a chance at is eSports. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and institutions are giving scholarships, um, yep. creating new arenas at their facilities, hiring full-time coaches. So, you know, it's a very unique thing. And so now I think that the institutions are playing a little catch-up when it comes to 3D printing. Um, I'm going to be like every other industry that claims um, supply chain concerns because of COVID. But I'm going to, you know, higher education and education as a whole over the past few years because of the pandemic sort of took a pause out of doing things because everything went virtual. Yep. And so there wasn't a lot of classrooms. There wasn't a lot of things that we could do. And so now coming out of the pandemic and looking, and there's been some reports out there where, you know, over the past three or four years, again, skewed because of the pandemic, the K through 12 sector really didn't see an increase of 3D printing, right. whether it's printers or facilities or those types of things within the within the K through 12 sector, but in higher education, there was still about a five or 6% increase. 
And so one of the things that my colleagues and I talk about all the time, and I go to my resident expert, you, Grant, uh, or your brother, Jonathan, um, from a technology standpoint, is we get requests and we've, we continue to get requests about whether or not we let students bring 3D printers um, to the college residence halls. And currently, um, with the exception of about two or three institutions, everybody has, has pretty much said, no, um, that's not a possibility now. And there's a multitude of reasons. It's, an, it's insurance. <laughs> because of that. Well, you know, some of it is, is because they're not regulated very well and you don't want one to catch on fire. They um, don't catch but, on fire. They only catch on fire because people are idiots. Well, <laughs> I want to point that out. But, you know, there there's fumes that are created. There's yep. it, just the longevity of, you know, how long it takes to print something. Yep. And yeah, you don't want you don't want them being left unattended. Yeah, typically you have to leave it unattended. Yep. Typically, a student doesn't live by themselves, so it's potentially disturbing another roommate. And let's be honest: for those of you that have gone to college or are in college, and and Grant, Jonathan, when you were in college, there's not a lot of room in a college room. No, there so isn't. Um, you know, I know that my institution and other institutions we have 3D printers on campus that students can print to. And right now, that seems to be the the best choice for, you know, prototyping, for making parts. It, for- it, it's a happy medium for me, right? It's a happy medium where, okay, you can't have it in your room, but it's okay. We have access to it here at the school. We'll, we'll assist in that, which is uh, pretty good, right? It's, it's better than when I went to school because there really weren't a lot of 3D printers when, when I went to school. So access didn't exist. The fact that there is access at all is a good thing. And we're we're starting to see it being adopted in the K through eight and then the nine through 12 as well, where you are getting 3D printing in the classroom. So I do hope that we start to see it, like you said, you know, more commonplace throughout higher education because I think there is value. And when you look at a school like Ringling, Gosh, like the, the art students alone, uh, I'm going to say hi to Margaret, who is a, a, an intern for the second year uh, from Ringling. She actually just graduated. Uh, I doubt she's watching or listening, but if you are, hi. Uh, you know, the work that she's done and the work that she is doing is amazing. She did her first summer with us as a graphic artist, just 2D and that's where a lot of the animations that you guys see in the YouTube channel come from. Uh, all the the latest stickers uh, with the cat on them, those are all from Margaret. Well, a lot of you don't know, Margaret and the entire Discord. So if you're not a part of our Patreon Discord, it's also available through YouTube channel members and uh, PayPal. Yes, but it's much better to go through Patreon. I mean, technically, we get the most money through PayPal, but I really don't, you know, it it, it, is, it is what it is. Um, you guys can come and hang out as we're working on it. We are working on our own test model uh, that will involve the cat. And if you're not in the Discord, you won't see it. Uh, but it, it is it is pretty cool to see how that's harnessed. And she, you know, kind of messaged me throughout the year. Hey, can you take a look at this for me? Is this printable? Because she was doing these crazy sculpting products now. because She dedicated her final year to ZBrush, which uh, I, I, the best I can best describe ZBrush as a program for masochists. It is it is such a tough program to learn, and she's done really well. I actually reached out to Photos Mint the other day, who's a great designer, because uh, we needed help designing a feather, 
he gave us some assistance. He said, show me where you're at. And I sent him that. He said, you're that far? I said, I'm not the person that we're working with. He said, send me her portfolio. He said, wow, she does great work. She's going to do great things. That's what I love about this industry, right? I can go to industry experts and ask them, and they're totally willing to help. That's always fun. Um, and uh, where was it? John Stern said, ah, American University relationship to sports is strange to me. At times, it seems they are less interested in the academic education than, than the sports. But you're now at a school that really doesn't have sports at all, right? No, yeah, we, I don't we, have no we have no athletic teams. And, and I would say, you know, again, um, I'm, I'm making the assumption based on, uh, you know, the the American system. Um, but it is it is a revenue generating piece for the institution. Uh, so that while yes, sporting sporting events are um, they they capture the the pride and the enthusiasm and um, the energy of a, a student body at an institution um, and keep the alumni engaged. Uh, they they also are you know it's a multi billion dollar business for higher education, especially at division one, um, large schools, you know, basketball and football programs generate a great deal of money for, um, the American higher ed system. It must be very interesting for you to go from, you know, kind of the first school was a division one at, you know, Michigan state now to ringling, which has no sports. <laughs> you know, we, we, we know that it, you, you bleed green and white, but still yeah it, it, well, it I'll, must always, be an odd I'll always <laughs> i'll always bleed green and white because i have two degrees from michigan state but you know i also have a doctor from the university of south florida and they're green and gold so it was close enough i kept my green yeah that's uh, but you know it, it's it's interesting because one of the things that i i do tell people is you know even if you look at just take 3d printers for instance and you take them how they came into higher education when they first hit the American higher education system, it was at the Carnegie Mellon's, yeah. the, you know, Massachusetts and MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. It was at these very strong engineering, you know, the STEM schools. And that's where it was because it was all about prototyping. Right. And now it has filtered throughout and it is really a you know, we can make a compelling argument at an art and design school. Hundred um, percent, that it's great. You know, our students spend a lot of time creating, whether it's in computer animation or graphic design or even in illustration. You know, when they're doing three D modeling, and now they can actually print their three D model versus having to previously like sculpt it out of clay. Um, it really is an amazing thing to see. And I know that, you know, um, one of the things that you did grant for me is, is uh, Ringling. We are, our mascot is an armadillo. So I have <laughs> the most a difficult thing to find 3D models of is a freaking armadillo. <laughs> I have a 3D printed armadillo on my desk and Thanks, people Chelsea. always, they, they come in. They pick it up. They 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 ask questions about it. But what it does for me is it really breaks the ice with students and parents because now we start to talk about something other than maybe that problem that is sitting in front of them. And um, you know, I let them play with it and handle it as we're talking, and then we start to deal with the real issue that's at hand. Um, and it's an easy way to do that. So again, I, I think that 
you know, 3D printing, you know, sort of like when a, a calculator came out, you know, the first calculators that came out, I remember getting one on my desk in an office, it was like 300 bucks. And all it did was add, multiply, you know, divide and subtract. That was it. Uh, and, you know, and I thought that was amazing. You know, now it's, they're free. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they come attached to the multi-thousand dollar cell phone, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you get them on your multi-hundred dollar watch and uh, yeah, it is, it is kind of insane, uh, you know, how much things have changed. I mean, I, I, I remember kind of, you know, we, John and I grew up in kind of the golden age of this new technology renaissance and just watching Moore's law become a thing where stuff is getting so much faster and it, it, it blows my mind. And now that we can, that we can do things like make an armadillo and I don't need any practical sculpting skills. I just need to know someone who can sculpt digitally that can make something like that. It is, it is. Yeah, yeah very, but I, it's so crazy. But I, but I'd also say, you know, again, um, you know, and, and maybe from a, a, a dad moment, you know, it was one of those things where I had these landscape lights yep. and the brackets on them were, were literally rusting, rotting through, and the light was essentially useless. And you couldn't buy the bracket. So I would have to buy a new light. So I was like, hey, Grant, you know, here are the dimensions, everything else. And then, you know, it was like that weekend, you were like, here's 12 of them. And I think they've been out in the yard now for five years. And the the ones that came with the light lasted too. And so there, there's a practical standpoint of some things where there isn't a part on the market and it's a fairly easy fix and you're able to do that. The other piece is, is that I think that there's some ways that, and maybe this was seen through the pandemic with supply chain issues and everything else, there's not this long wait for prototyping yep. because basically if you can print it, uh, you only have to wait as long as the print takes. And, and that's that's so true. I'm actually surprised those parts have lasted as long. I think I did them out of PETG. Um, I don't know. They're gray. That's the only yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I, I remember that they were gray. I don't remember if it was PLA or PETG. Next time I'm over, I'll check because it, it's pretty easy to tell just based on how flexible the parts are. Uh, John Stern is asking, what's rust? He lives in California. We live in Florida, so... You know, yeah, well, that's it's not oh, from well, salt; get, it's from water. <laughs> yeah, and they get they get rust out in California by the by the coast too. Um, yeah, but it, it's not. Trust me, it's not rust like in the Midwest uh, from salt from and and up north from salt from uh, road ice and snow removal. I I have I don't think I've done anything kind of crazy for you lately on the printers. You haven't asked for much. But like that's there is a part like we're doing for another school, uh, SEU requested uh, a quote on third a building that we were building on campus. Oh yeah, I have one. Um, in in you know in full color, and one of the benefits of that was for our um advancement office because when they went to talk with donors, mm -hmm. they literally brought this model, and it was sort of like your name here, uh, and they could show them that model. The the other thing that um you were able to do for student government was come in and 3d scan and then print up the mascot. And we created statues, um, down, you created, I should not, not we, you, <laughs> your business created statues down to uh, a place where the plaque went 
for all graduating students who had been the mascot, because being a mascot is usually top secret on a college campus, and you only find out who those people are come graduation. And so each mascot performer got their own mascot um, that was 3D printed. So those those were really cool projects, I thought. It's, uh, it is fun. Yeah, it is. To me, it's all about telling that story, and I think 3D printing really enables that story type. I, I guess we dropped like 30 seconds worth of worth of video. I have no dropped frames on my side, so it is not a Spectrum thing. Normally I would blame Spectrum, but uh, I don't know. Maybe it was a YouTube thing. Uh, you know, not, not exactly certain. So sorry, you guys missed something. Um, but yeah, it's uh, watching this. I mean, even, even myself watching this tech, right? Like, we go from printers that I look at as being fast. Like I, I looked at the Mark three S as being a relatively fast printer. And then you get a bamboo lab, which is like <laughs> three or four times as fast when they work, when they work. Uh, it is, it is astounding for me to see that, you know, to see that that is the generational leap that we've made in this technology. Um, you know, and I will say the bamboo printers, make a lot of sense to have on on campuses because they look the part right they look like a finished product so they don't stand out like one of these would right where it's like what the what the hell is all that but if i had bamboos you'd be like what's those weird boxes made by apple in the background <laughs> right yeah and i and i think grant you know you make a great point about you know when they work and in higher education that's a, that's a big concern is we need things that are reliable. They get abused, you know, you got a lot of use and, you know, constantly being um, used. And so I think that, you know, as 3D printing technology improves, things become easier to set up, assemble, there's yep. less support needed. Um, you know, you don't have to have lab uh, monitors and and pay a lab monitor, you know, so again, you have to weigh the costs of sort of supporting the 3D printing printers, as well as, you know, how much they initially cost. And, and right. those things are now starting, you're starting to see, I think, a trend where they're costing less, they're more reliable, they are faster. Um, so that, you know, again, it, it, it's not like taking a regular printer and printing out your paper and you have 10 people waiting. You don't wait that long to print out your paper for your class. But if you had 10 but, people waiting to print out a part on a 3D printer. How often do 2D printers fail, though? I mean, honestly, how often does a 2D printer jam? OK, right. You know, they they, 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 they jam. And we just accepted that as commonplace. And yes, right. You know, the 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 3D printers are considerably slower. Uh, I just got a box in the mail that I wasn't expecting uh, from a Stratasys dealer with a bunch of stuff in it for me to take a look at uh, because they are bringing out some really interesting technology that will look at basically having 3D printers that are really, really fast. The 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 thing is, they start at around eight hundred thousand dollars. So, yeah, 
Yeah, pricing wise, it's not unless you're and unless you're a big research one institution, you know, in the in the American higher ed system, you're not going to be able to afford something like that. No. Yeah, Um, no. You know, and again, yeah, do do regular printers jam? Absolutely, they do. And they're either very easy for the user to fix or unfix a jam or there's some type of service agreement with a company that comes in and fix them. It's typically not an in-house type of support. And so that may be where some business development occurs in the 3D printing industry. But I think, you know, again, (laughs) I think again for 3D printing, there is a huge market in for colleges and universities Yep. Um, th- there's a huge market for students um, who have to to prototype or get a project done quickly. I'm I, I'm I'm hiding some information. My camera's not going to show it all, anyways. But I've got the director of uh, Prusa for schools. I have their business card uh, because you know that's part of what we're looking at doing. And yeah, education is the big push, right? Look at what happened with MakerBot. You know. Uh, I, I'm ac- I actually have a MakerBot on the way. I guess we should probably tease this. Uh, Madcat USA found a original MakerBot replicator. So the wood printer, the ones that are made of laser cut wood for real cheap out by him. And it's signed. We're not entirely certain who it's signed by. But he is currently uh, looking at uh, uh, breaking it down and then mailing it to me so we can bring it back to its former life actually being potentially functional and it it is that is what used to be consumer now we look at what makerbot does i don't believe you can buy a makerbot for less than 10 grand because they don't care they're going after education where education to spend ten thousand dollars on a tool no big deal when you're looking to spend two hundred dollars on a tool or you give them a you know thing that says oh these machines are two hundred dollars you wonder why they're so cheap right there becomes this this weird line between okay i'm sure it works but the ten thousand dollar one probably works better except a lot of times it doesn't (laughs) but what it comes with is it comes with a service contract like you said services is kind of a big deal um actually next week we're going to be talking all about customer service and service for 3d printers in general that's going to be our topic next week for no reason whatsoever uh, I'm not. Having well, a you know, and then I would I would say for for your listeners and for your followers on, on your YouTube channel, I said, you know, three three D printers are not going anywhere. Um, no, they are here. They they are here to stay, and they're going to keep continue to improve and and you know resin printers and all those types of things. I know resin is toxic. I got. That. Thank you. You don't Thank have to you. go on your rant. I got that. <laughs> um, but you know, one and, and one of the ways I can tell you that is occurring is just look at the increased number of colleges and universities that now have majors and minors yep. in additive manufacturing and all these other things. Love to go back to school for that. That <laughs> you know, it, it, it's clearly there. You know. Colleges and universities that are opening up or have opened up maker space type facilities right on campus. Yep. Um, you know, and, and I'm fortunate again, I'm at an art and design school. We have a great and, and a beautiful maker space. It's literally across 
this open walkway from our huge glass blowing facility. I still need um, a tour of this. You've worked there for <laughs> over a year now and I still haven't gotten a tour. Any anytime you want to come down. But it's it's one of those things where now the educational component really is going right in line with what's happening, um, you know, in the world. And so people have to have access to these tools, right? They have to have access to the ability to prototype and to um, make personal projects as well as corporate projects. And, you know, it's sort of like if you're an additive manufacturing major, you know, not only will you have a resume, but your portfolio will be some of the projects that you've made along the way. It's true. And now instead of clay, something that is really tough to move, metal, which is even tougher to move, glass, which we should never let amber near, you've got something that is made of a polymer that is easily replaceable and is easily replicated as well that's really the value of 3d printing yes i, I had to give the dig to amber it, it, it was necessary she said sign me up so i i when you talked about the glass flowing things just put rude in the chat i know tell her tell her i i i'm, I'm trying to do i'm trying to get there i want to just do it um I mean, audit so i don't it's not even for a grade i i i don't have to tell her we're, we're live you can oh that's right you can yeah, I can her. tell her. <laughs> so, of course, John Stern has to ask the question, right? At what age did I start ranting? <laughs> uh, about uh, six months. <laughs> oh, that that laid in. Okay, I, 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 uh, I suspect I, I suspected it was going to be earlier than that, but I guess I, I, I was the first one out, so I, I was the easier of the two. Um. <laughs> well, you know, I, I always tell people I have an heir and a spare, so. Yeah. Uh, you know, the 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 unique thing about um, being a father uh, of twins and um, being a very proud father of twins who both both sons ha have turned out to be fine young men. And I would say that even if they weren't one on works the for the fire department, the other one's a YouTuber. I mean, honestly, come on. <laughs> <laughs> one knows what a barber is. The other one, not so much. Well, um, the other one is 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 growing out his hair to shave it for charity. For yeah, a foundation that, that one that of our staff members now. just won the award for. <laughs> yeah, which was very cool. It was, but, it was. you know, I, I think that it is, you know, inherent in all, in all of us as we look at things like 3D printing is, you know, yeah, yeah there's a practical side of it and all this other thing. But I, I think for many individual, it also gives them a creative outlet that they may not have had before. Um, because they couldn't put things down on paper, but they could put it down in, you know, a 3D image and then print it. And so I think it's really been a very unique type of, of um, technology that has really afforded a vast number of people you know, the, the, the capabilities of doing it. I don't want a 3D printer. I have son, two sons that have planned. I have enough. Um, <laughs> you don't need and it's one. easier just to pick up the phone. And and both of my sons will tell you that, you know, I, I have enough technology knowledge to be really dangerous. I can ruin almost anything. Dude, I'm the same but way. But it, 
it's one of those things where in talking with students, and we, we talk about this all the time, um, is that there's many mediums that they, like clay, that don't hold up to the test of time. Right. And so, you know, they'll break down, they'll either harden, they'll break, they'll, they'll oil up. Um, if they bump into anything, they're ruined, you know, yep. metals too expensive. As you said, you know, it's not like you can go down the road and, you know, get a bronze lion, although we did. You um, can, it's just one, very, at, very at, expensive to do it at, at one time. Uh, but it's one of those ways that, again, you can hand your dad an armadillo and if it falls off my desk, which it has, it doesn't break, first of all. No. But if it did, I could pick up the phone and say, hey, what colors, <laughs> you know, what, <laughs> what color, color do, do have I have? Printer now? Oh, I don't know, man. You just tell me what color you want. <laughs> uh, it, it is it, it is pretty cool. Right. It is it is really awesome to look at. This is not just a thing to solve a, you know, solution for rapid prototyping, but also looking at it from an art perspective. And I think that's really the thing that a lot of schools are going after, because it is a lot easier to go to an administrator who doesn't know anything about the tech and is potentially very old school for the tech and say, this will help our engineering program, our robotics program and our art program, and it only costs this much. And really, you know, like you said, the big thing is staff. We we saw often that teachers would just get tossed 3D printers because at the end of the year, there was money left in the budget and it had to get spent, use it or lose it, because that's a smart way to do budgeting. Uh, I'm not gonna get into that today. But, you know, and that would mean that these things end up collecting dust. Yeah, they spend the money with a company, but then they collect dust because the teacher doesn't know how to use it. Uh, and that's why we are shifting focus to handle more, uh, you know, online content, whether that is YouTube, paid or otherwise, where we are able to provide that education because, yeah, the machines have gotten more affordable, the technology has gotten better, but the education surrounding it has not. That's why we kind of started this channel, because we got the same questions over and over and over again about what is this technology? What do we do? How do we do it? And why then is it this much money? Because it is, you're, commis you're commissioning a custom piece of art and that's what it needs to cost. Um, some people out there will say that, you know, your time has no value to it. You shouldn't be charging for design work and all you should be doing is undercutting other people. And that is some of the worst business advice that you can ever get. I believe that it is best to build relationships with people and, you know, I, I, I guess the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? <laughs> well, you know, and, and again, I think the, that you do get what you pay for. Sometimes. And, and honestly, honestly, that's changing a lot in this industry. Those yeah. Sobel SV06s are way too damn good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and for me, I know that I, you know, I will even pay a little more yeah. if I've dealt with the same vendor they're honest. They follow through on their commitment. They give me good customer service. They're there when I have an issue and they're there when I don't have an issue. Yep. And so, you know, again, I think, you know, for those that are out in the 3D printing industry, yeah, there, there are some hard costs that you have to cover. Then there are some that they're, you know, those soft costs that you can, you can, um, 
you negotiate on. But I also believe that it's a business and there has to be, you know, some profit margin in there, but you don't have to gouge the consumer. And I think that what it really comes down to is who can meet their deadlines, who who has a quality product, um, who will support if something happens, um, and who owns up to yeah. telling me something other than, oh, supply chain issue, I can't meet that deadline. Um, hey, man, that was the greatest excuse for God knows what I said, what, that's a great years. excuse because I said, <laughs> now everybody with upper respiratory issues is always getting, oh, that's just a long-term effect from COVID. But that's a whole nother story. And you and your your viewers can probably say, oh, now I know where Grant gets his rants from. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when it, when it comes to higher ed and comes with uh, talking about 3D printing, absolutely, there's this huge partnership now. And we're seeing it in the co-curricular and the curricular side. And so from having classes on 3D design and yep, Margaret 3D. learned ZBrush at Ringling in one year. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's terrifying. And then to be able to then have. put it into practical standpoint, whether it's through an internship like, you know, Margaret did with you or going out in, in, into the world and doing other things. And we have some students who, um, you know, our film students are doing some tremendous work um, in that aspect. And, you know, whether it's a part on a set or something else, it, it's amazing some of the things that occur. Yep. And it's, you know, 3D printers probably only as good as your imagination. So it, it's really, how do you help garner? And that's one of the things why I like watching the YouTube channel and the YouTube videos. I learn more about the industry and about right. what my sons are doing by watching the YouTube channel than I do, hey, what's what's going on today? What's happening at work? Um, Dude, there's so know, much happens at work me, that I can't like, talk about how many the channel. How many Benchy bo boats have you printed this week, you know? Ah, uh, but soon it will no longer be the Benchy. Soon, TM, we have a model that we are working on, and I am excited for it. Uh, there, I, I am so excited. I, I, I've been watching Margaret work on it, and so is, you know, some, some of our uh, Patreon members, and it's gonna be real cool it's gonna be really cool I'll, I'll i'll send you some previews of it uh when we're done but um yeah there there is a lot going on behind the scenes that i don't talk about one because i give away a lot of advice on here of like what to do and what not to do but i ain't giving away all the secret sauce right at, at some point i got to keep some of that you know bottled up for myself so that people don't just immediately try to compete with us um because yeah, you know, that is, of course, an issue when the pricing goes lower, right? If you would have asked me 10 years ago, right, where where I would think that 3D printing would end up, I wouldn't have, I would not have told you that we would have sub $300 3D printers that are legitimately really freaking good. The, the Sovel SV06 is legitimately a phenomenal printer for the money, and, uh, it blows my mind. It blows my mind how good that machine is for the money. I would never think that we would get there. But then there's the huge problem. It comes with a single page front and back. And that is all you get. You don't get a nice assembly manual. You don't get a handbook for tips and tricks. You don't get any of that. You want support? You can email them and they'll get back to you eventually. 
You go to Prusa, yeah, you're going to spend, what, three times as much? You get a beautiful, close to 100-page, full-color assembly manual with breaks for Haribo, of course. And you get, you know, full 24 by 7, 362 days last year they were live uh, for live chat customer support. That kind of thing is amazing to me. And that's where that extra money goes, right? You're basically paying for the service contract for one year of service on the machine with the purchase price of the machine. That's been the big thing for me and something that we see. But if you are buying a $300 printer, you're not going to have somebody that you can call to come and fix it because that $300 printer is disposable. And especially when you look at it in an education standpoint, it's definitely disposable, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, um, it's, I think right now, the the biggest issue is, you know, we're sort of back to those days of the computer lab. Yep. And so you have your 3D printing lab, you have your lab monitors um, for an institution, although there may be a couple of version, uh, variations of manufacturers within that lab, they're going to probably stick to Polymers. one type of printer Yeah. so that the support, you only have to train them on one type of machine. Yep. And again, I, I think that that's going to change. Like you said, you know, 10 years ago, it was a much different beast than it is now. Um, and, and 10 years from now, I think it will be even more different, but it's going to be something that is going to allow a majority of students, you know, and again, we're sort of talking that at the college level, you know, a, a majority of students will have a need and or interest in using this type of technology yeah. versus other types of technology that may be on campus. They may have the ability to, you know, go in and use this, you know, CNC machine or something, and maybe they'll do it, maybe they won't. You know, um, I know that like at my institution, we have a full woodworking um, area. You guys and, have and, a great shop there on yeah, campus. It's really and, nice. You know, it's not something that you would go into using unless you're in set design and you're making the sets that that are for the upcoming productions. But the 3D printing labs, everybody's using the 3D printers. And some of it's for work, you know, for their schoolwork. Some of it's personal. Some of it's probably for sale, Uh, (laughs) you know. But it's one of those things where I, I think that it has a mass appeal there is an ease of use, um, although I've never used one personally. Um, I have watched them on many occasions, and been, I'm I'm fascinated by them. Yeah, yeah. Subtractive or additive, it's still pretty awesome. Uh, John Stern is asking: In the UK, we have a paid lab technician running department facilities. Is it similar in the United States? Yeah, it is similar in the United States, and typically we supplement it with student workers. Mm-hmm. So. There is a typically a full-time paid um, director of the lab, um, and then they will augment, especially after hours yep. in the evening with student workers um, and, and even, even sort of like help desk individuals. But yeah, very, very similar. 
But again, at times where, especially over the last three years, because of the pandemic and reduction in students, there has to be then reduction in costs that an institution is facing. Yep. And sometimes hard decisions have to be made um, where jobs are not funded and those types of things. So, you know, many, many institutions, not the one that I'm at, but many institutions have have had to make very serious and deep cuts because of fewer students, because fewer students means fewer, uh, less revenue. Yeah, the, you know, it, it looks like a lot of people are going back to this. Oh, you don't need to go to college. Just go get a blue collar job. And yeah, there are some professions where like, go be a professional welder. You'll make a ton of money if you're good. You know, go be a mechanic. You'll make a ton of money if you're good. And the local high school here, it you can you can go to high school, leave with being an ASE certified mechanic. A diesel mechanic, if you want. They have a regular mechanic program and a diesel mechanic program. They've got a welding program, a contractor, an electrician, where these kids can leave high school and enter directly into a trade position. And obviously for art, sometimes you can do that. Sometimes you can't. Uh, and especially with this, you know, the flash in the pan that was the NFTs. Uh, I'm sure that might have been an interesting thing at Ringling. But watching you know, how some people are choosing to go into trades where artists seem to be doing a lot more college than they used to. Why do you think that is a thing? Well, I think, I think it's all, you know, creatives, uh, our, our creative students, creatives, um, there, there is always this desire to be better. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes the ability to be critiqued um, and, muscle memory and practice and doing things repetitiously yeah. um, is of great benefit. There are absolutely artists and designers that have not gotten college degrees, but I, I, I do believe that sometimes there's this merger between, you know, raw talent and fundamental education and, and the ability to inter, intermingle those two things that makes the individual that much more marketable. Yep. Um, in the real world out there. Uh, a lot of times for art and design students, not only do they get to uh, use techniques that they know, they get to learn new techniques. The other thing is, is they get to compete against other very talented um, creatives, whether it's at their institution or other institutions for many awards and get some publicity and recognition that jumpstarts their career. You know, it's sort of like being a musician and, right. you know, getting on, you know, the voice or America's got talent or whatever it is. And, and, you know, getting some exposure that you might not have had, you know, sitting in your home, drawing beautiful pictures and being a phenomenal illustrator and going to the Saturday or Sunday flea market. That is the kind of amazing thing about social media, right? People that do sit at home, make amazing art, and then go to the you know go to the local markets on the weekend to sell it. Now have an ability to do that worldwide, right? They can do live streams. They can put pictures up. They can put videos up, uh, even if it's you know videos of people's cats. Uh, there is so much opportunity out there and 
you know, traditional isn't always the way that it has to be anymore. Um, looking at kind of the future, right? What do you think? What, what, what do you think we're moving towards when we look at technology in education? Yeah, I, I think, again, it, it's going to have to continue to mirror what's happening out in society. And, um, you know, the, there'll be sort of this, you know, you'll have your really big STEM institutions that are pushing the, those creatives to create the new types of things that are out there. Um, but it, it's going to be supporting what's happening. I, I think that, you know, the the auto market of going to EV and and doing all that is really going to push technology. Uh, you know, I, I need a battery that goes more than 300 miles in my car. Uh, you, do you, you know? know? Yeah, I do. When have you driven more than 300 miles in the past five years? When I go to, when I go to Miami. That's not more um, than 300 miles. <laughs> yeah, but I, I in one day know, it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't want to be at a quarter of a tank or lower. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to run out like I don't want to run out of gas. I don't want to run out of electricity. But what, yeah, what I'm saying is to come by with a generator and plug into your yeah. car. <laughs> you know, I I want to make sure you want to make sure that those things are happening. I think there may be a change in what we term American colleges and universities and um, degree obtainment. You know, I, I think there there will always be the bachelor's, the master's, and the doctorate. I think though what you're going to see though is more. And it comes out of really the technology field, the more proliferation support and um, types of programs that are going to be certificate based. Yeah, certificate stuff. Yep. And so you may be, you know, 3D design certificate. That would be and cool. It, it's going to, it, it, it's, it's sort of that stamp of approval yeah. that, that, you know, I just didn't learn this in my and not that there's anything wrong with that, that I just didn't learn this on my own through YouTube or whatever. Trust me, there's many things I've fixed because of YouTube. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I told you the other day I was looking at the service manual for the freaking lawnmower because the, the, the starter wasn't turning on. The service manual wants you to remove the whole motor to replace the starter. There is a YouTube video. The guy's like, yeah, you just kind of pull this cover up. You shove a socket in it and you can turn out the bolt and you can remove the starter without touching the motor. And yep, yep, that worked. Uh, it wasn't the starter. Uh, <laughs> so I have a new starter on my lawnmower, but it wasn't the starter. Yeah, but uh, it, the, it the lawnmower a, started, so it problem solved. Yeah, I had a third of the uh, got a third of the lawn cut before I could barely walk. Uh, but that's okay, you know. It's uh, it's fine. It is like driving. Yeah, a so I, I think you know. Again, I think certificates and certificate programs are going to be, um, they're going to be viewed as more valuable in society. Yeah, and and so I think that that's going to be an important piece. I think that you know it's. Again, I've been watching, you know, sort of additive manufacturing majors, you know, first it was minors, now it's majors, and seeing more and more institutions pick up on that. And I think, again, it's it's going to be very similar to what happened in higher ed when online classrooms came along, you know, 
back in the, in the early 2000s, no one, you know, there were a handful of institutions doing it. Yep. Well, guess what? After the pandemic, everybody's doing <laughs> everybody's it. Everybody doing has it, the yeah. ability to go, take their courses online, including an art and design school. Yeah, that must have been an interesting one, you know, teaching art and design online, for sure. You know, but Zoom and other um, synchronous ways of interacting with people electronically without having to be in the same room has really afforded the ability to get educational messages out to people. You know, there may be ways where you do classroom types of training on printers that are standardized enough that many institutions can buy into them to get their lab workers, their lab tech workers, ready to handle most problems that come along with their 3D printer um, rather than a manual. That would be cool. We're working toward that soon, TM. Uh, I have enjoyed seeing how things change. And yeah, you know, uh, the human malware was an interesting time for 3D Musketeers. Um, It normalized the fact that all of our staff are remote, which was great. Loved it. Uh, And now means it's not an issue anymore. Used to be like, you know, oh, you look down on people that worked from home. Now it's like, wait, I don't, I don't even have to leave. Like, I don't have to go out into the sun. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Some people are kind of built for it. Um, Some aren't, right? But there are, you know, absolute types of careers that work better that way. Looking at 3D printing, though, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, colleges adopting it. And Justin, uh, I'm sorry, he chose the wrong college. We, we all know he chose the wrong college. But he's, nah, he's, he, he's OK. He didn't go to the wrong one because his college and my college can agree that there's a third college. Yeah, they don't like the Michigan. College. They don't like the University of Michigan. Uh, yeah, Justin, our team goes to uh, the Ohio State University and is the youngest uh, person to work in the CDME lab, which is their big uh, industrial engineering lab, where they have not one, but a few metal 3D printers among many other technologies there. So, you know, schools like OSU are adopting the tech because what they're doing, and it's such a freaking cool thing that they're doing. They are partnering with local businesses that need this technology. The school will pay for part of it. This is to my knowledge and what I'm aware of. The school houses it. They train people on how to use the technology. The business basically gets effectively free labor to do their work. And then when the machines aren't being used for the business, the school gets to utilize them in the downtime. So Justin, among being forklift certified, which, you know, that's always fun when you're 19 years old now. Um, you know, has been playing with metal 3D printers, concrete 3D printers. And uh, he let me know that he's not going to be interning with 3D Musketeers over the summer because he's interning with a company that makes hypersonic rockets. You know, he's not, he can't even legally drink. And what is he doing? He He's, he's playing with hypersonic rockets. And I said, Justin, how's ITAR treating you? He said, dude. I, I honestly thought that you were a little, you know, off when you talked about ITAR because you're very passionate about how bad it is. Oh, man, it is way worse than you even say. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> I I dumb down ITAR and make it easier for people to understand. He's like, yeah, 
Yeah, I can't even tell you the machines that we use. I said, I know you can't because uh, I, I understand that it is a very interesting thing to see him kind of violently being thrust into this new industry and everything that comes with it. Um, but I'm kind of proud, right? You know, one, full ride. That's always fun. And yes, CMMC. I know Catlet technically it's CMMC, but most people know it as ITAR. Uh, it is just, it's very interesting to kind of see how this newer generation, this younger generation is growing up and really playing on the bleeding edge. So I think it's pretty cool. Um, now I know we're, we're not just here to talk about 3D printing. Sage dad advice time. All right. I, I know you're full of it among full of other things, but you're absolutely full of some good sage dad advice. I know I've gotten some throughout the years and I don't think people would call you dad if they didn't feel that way as well. Um, so, you know, for people that are kind of at that college age debating on going to college, you know, or looking at is college in their future, people like Brad who just graduated high school, um, Got any advice for them as to, you know, what to look for in their life and what to really do? Well, you know, and again, I, I think that you have to look at it as a journey. Um, don't look at college as a destination. It's just part of the journey. It's more exploration. Mm -hmm. And for some, it's real easy. They know exactly what they're going to do and what they're going to major in. And probably when they graduate, they've already figured out what the job lined up. <laughs> where they want to work and et cetera, et cetera. And, and now they're doing high school graduation. But for, for most students, you know, they, they want to go to college to learn more, to explore more. I, I think you need to keep your options open. That's the, the first thing. Um, the second thing is that there are many people on college and universities campus that may look old like me but that we really probably do have pretty good advice. And so sometimes it's just being open to listen and understand, uh, you know, our a role of an administrator at a college campus, as I said, really is to support a student working through, you know, the four, hopefully four years of undergrad uh, and then, and then more if they wish but to be making decisions and, and some will be bad or not good. Um, and you need to own up to those and learn from those. And some will be, will be great decisions, but it's, it's about thinking of it as a journey and exploration and keeping an open mind and don't be so quick to be close to ideas that are different from your own. I think that that's another important piece about college. Um, it gets people out of their comfort zones. You know, yep. I, with the exception of when I took the job at Ringling, I mean, I had 40 years of living on a college campus and college residence halls and or college houses. Yep. Um, so always being on a college campus. The other piece of you want real sage dad advice, it's not all about what happens in the classroom. Think about it. About 20% of your time at college is in the classroom. You have to make use of that other 80%. Yep. And so some of that's doing homework. 
you know, others, it'll be in the lab, but it's attending events. It is attending some of those athletic events if you're institution. If not, it may be attending a pizza party. It may be going to a local museum. It may be attending a political rally. It, you know, it, it could be a, a plethora of other things. Yep. But don't just go to class and go to your room. Meet people. Meet people. I like that. That's that's great advice. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously you've done a great job at it. There are people that still talk to you. What, 2009, that would be, you know, better part of 15 years, 14 years later, um, you know, that, that they still remember you vividly and that you guys are still connected. Um, you know, what about for those that want to go to college, but they don't really know what they want to do. I, I, I always remember your, your statement of the, uh, the most popular major is undecided, but what, if I want to go to college, I don't know. I, I, it's just, it's in my plan. I got to go to college. I got to get a degree, but I don't know what the hell I want to get a degree in. Where do I start? How, how, how do I even pick what college I want to go to if I don't know what I want to do for a living? Yeah, Grant, that's a that's an excellent question um, and, and, and statement. I think you know. Let's <laughs> we'll, we'll go with, we'll go with the second we'll go with the second part too about you know how do you pick a college and, and and I think you know again every individual has individual circumstances. Some of us want to get as far away from home as we possibly can, so that's how we pick our college. Others of us want to stay as close as we possibly can, so that's how we pick our college. Um, some have negotiated with parents. If you stay home and you commute, I'll get you a new car because I'm saving money from having to pay for you to live on camp. You know, whatever it is, there's all sorts of reasons why people pick an institution. Some pick it because their parent went there or their best friend goes there. Um, so I, I think that there's so many reasons why you pick a college or college A gave me a hundred percent scholarship while college B only gave me 50%. I'm going to college A because it's not costing me anything. Yeah, that's so what I did. A, you know, <laughs> there, there's a fine. Yeah. But room and board costs. Yeah, uh, I did. And, uh, you know, so there's, there's a, there, there's a bunch of different reasons to go and They're all individual and they're all important. Um, I, I think that again, if you're set on the major, then I, I would look at what, you know, the internet's your friend. What are the schools with the best, you know, mathematics majors or additive manufacturing majors or what's the best party school? I don't know. You know, whatever you don't pick a school because it's the best party school. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you a very funny tangent. Then I'll get back to the answer. But I know what you're I doing. literally was working. <laughs> I was literally working at a school that out in one of the ratings was like the number two party school in the nation. And I remember talk having a conversation with the president going, if we're the number two party school in the nation, there are a lot of bored college students out there because there's not a lot of parties that are going on here. So maybe that was from years ago with the survey, but I don't know what to tell you. So anyway, there, there's a lot of legitimate reasons for picking an institution. Yeah. Some, guess what? You only got into one college that you applied to out of 10. Guess where you're going? You're going to that one. Yep. Um, 
Don't underestimate the value of your local community college for the American college system. It's a very, it's a less expensive way to get your first two years out of the way. Yeah, the two, two. Your, it's great. Your it's great. AA degree, then that degree, you become a transfer student. You know, a lot of students will look at a, a very, um, I lost the word, a, a very competitive institution in a certain major and they may have a lot of applicants and they don't get in, they get waitlisted or they get denied. Whereas if they went to the community college, they do their two years and they transfer and they can probably get right into that major as a transfer student versus a, a first time yep. coming in student. Um, but the other thing is, is what does interest you? And it's okay to be undecided. Um, and it is one of the larger majors at most institutions because people are undecided. They probably know what they want to do. They just don't want to commit right up front because you go to college and I'm pre-med and I flunk organic chemistry. Guess what? You're not pre-med anymore. Yep. You know, you got to go do something else or I'm, I want to be a teacher. Phenomenal um, profession. I want to be a K through 12 teacher. So you go through your teacher education and junior year, you start your student teaching where you go into the classroom. And at the end of your student teaching, you go, I don't ever want to be in a classroom again. <laughs> Little shits. <laughs> but now what do you do? You yep. got three years of coursework done. If you switch majors, you're going to be set back a year. So you go through with your degree and you have to parlay it into something else. So just because you have a major doesn't always mean that's the end result of, of what you're going to do and where your profession's going to be. But yep. then there's some, you know, I want to be an electrical engineer. You go through your electrical. I want to be an accountant. You go through your accounting or financial management um, majors. And, and so th there's some very clear tracks, but it's okay to be undecided. You'll have to decide your sophomore year. So it just gives you a way to get your feet wet, take your general education requirements, and, yep. and you move on. There's also some schools that don't have undeclared, but it's okay to come in, work with your academic advisor or your faculty advisor about, I'm not really sure that I want to be a creative writing um, major. I may want to do history. So is there a way I can dabble in a couple of electives my first year while I'm taking my core courses to see really what I want to do. And then I yep. can always change my major. Yep. I, I, I remember, I remember your speeches, right? I remember you, you, you talking about that at, at your previous college and, you know, saying these same things to parents who are giving up their children for the first time, they're going off to, to live somewhere. And, you know, they have to basically trust that, you're going to take care of them similar to the way that, that they would. And uh, historically, I think you've done a pretty darn good job at that. Yeah, but no allowance. Nah, no allowance. No allowance. <laughs> Actually, it's quite the opposite. You get an allowance yeah. for the parents <laughs> or the kids, I guess. Uh, it, it's, I don't know ever if the decisions that we make are, are the right ones until it's too late. Right. You never know if, you know, was getting business degrees the right path for me? I have no clue. Right. 
I'm I'm an engineer at heart, but I probably wouldn't have made it in engineering school because I kind of am not great at math. Uh, could be just a, a bit of the constant wanting to just make things, right? So I think I kind of found my path. But there are a lot of people that might have already graduated or are far enough along that they've had to declare a major. Uh, or, you know, maybe they're they're later on in life and they just feel like they're not kind of where they want to be. Um, what is it, what do you have advice-wise there of, you know, okay... You feel like you're lost in life. What sh what should you be doing to try to find your way again? Yeah, well, I, again, especially if you've already graduated, you know, there there is always the opportunity to go back and retool and get either get an advanced degree, look at some certificate programs, look at even some online courses that yep. can assist you. You know, I always tell people after sort of your first job right out of college, People don't really pay much attention to what your major was. And I know that that may be, and if we maybe we're on a higher ed um, YouTube <laughs> in the chat field, people are being like, what the hell are whoa, you telling whoa, people hey. now? Whoa. <laughs> um, but, you know, does it matter that I have a doctorate of philosophy in higher education curriculum and development with higher education administration? No, I, I have my doctorate. You know, people don't ask what my major was. No, but you um, don't raise your hand when they ask if there's a doctor on the plane. Well, it depends on if I'm getting moved up to first class or if I have to <laughs> help somebody <laughs> because they have a medical emergency. I'm sorry. I had, I had to go for that dig. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, again, part of it is, is, you know, even in my profession, most of my at most of the institutions that I've worked, when I've recruited staff, most of the job, if not all, require a master's degree. Yep. It used to, 10, 15 years ago, be you needed to have a master's degree in higher education administration, counseling, or student development, or related field. Now it just says you need a master's. Because guess what? I'll take an MBA student who was an RA for three years as an undergraduate, and then maybe was a graduate hall advisor for two years and now got their MBA because they got it for free while they were working at the school um, that they were doing graduate res life work. They have a master's. What do I care if it's in student development or, you know, higher education administration? Yeah. It's, it's of no, it's of no difference. They've they got they, the cred to get, they have, the, they have the educational foundation plus the background. The only time that I think a degree really matters is when you're doing things that require professional, right? So if you're doing something that needs like a contractor, an MBA cannot be a contractor unless they have obtained their contractor license, right? You cannot Correct. be a professional engineer unless you have passed the schooling and all that for the professional engineering segment. But yeah, I people just automatically assume I have engineering degrees. I don't. Uh, but you know, I think that's kind of helped, um, you know, the, the charisma and learning how to talk to people that I picked up from my undergraduate and graduate degrees has better helped me learn to run a team, which at the end of the day is to me a lot more important than knowing how to do the math. 
there's people that I can call that know how to do it better than I do. And there's certainly websites that I can find as well that will help me get there. They'll help me get there. But a lot of the skills that we've picked up are practical. And similarly, I don't really look what degree you got, if you even got a degree. When we look for it goes back people, to your skills. Yeah, it goes back to sort of that 20% spent in the classroom, 80% spent outside the classroom. What are you doing with that 80% of your time? Yep. And so I even remember during my doctoral work taking statistics and having the question on the, the exam, you know, what's the difference between small B and beta? You know, and of course, my answer was the small B is the second letter of the alphabet and beta is a fish. <laughs> and then I, I wrote, and since I don't know the answer, I guess I need to walk down the hall to my office of institutional research so they can explain it to me. So, you know, tongue in cheek, the real issue is that I don't need to know, but I need to know somebody who knows, who can explain it to me, why it's important for me to know. Um, and once I know that and I have those resources available... I'm good. I don't need to know how to 3D print because I have sons that know how to 3D print. So I can pick <laughs> up, you know, I text and go, hey, one of my students is looking for an inexpensive printer that really works well and they won't have a lot of problems with it. Yep. You know, one of my students needs a new nozzle. Do you have any recommendations? Does this student want to use, you know, what type of filament does this student want to use? And yep. I don't need to know, but guess what? When I tell them the answer and I go, oh, you know, now you're my cool boys, guy. One of my boys just texted me back and this is what you should. Oh, thank you so much. I'm the hero. No, 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 man. You don't even say one I of your boys. You say, I consulted with my black book and this is the answer that I got. Nah. <laughs> no, one of my sons thinks he's hot shit on YouTube. So this is his answer. <laughs> I, I have always appreciated your outlook when it comes to, you know, dealing with problems. And I think that's helped me better shape my problem solving skills to where it's not always about immediately finding the solution. It's understanding why the problem occurred in the first place. Uh, when, when we look at problem solving as professionals, right, a lot of people are dedicated to find what, what went wrong you've kind of taught me not to figure out what went wrong, but why, and how do we solve the why? Because if we don't solve the why, we can't solve the what. That's always and been I think something that, that I I think there's another piece there too, is what went right. Yeah. You know, and I tell people, and again, because I deal a lot with student housing, it's, you know, if you want to change something or try something new, do it. There's, there's two rules I have. Don't kill anybody and don't burn anything down. Everything else we can fix because what's the worst thing that happens if your new idea doesn't work? We go back to the old way that we were doing something. Yep. But you have to take risks. Um, that's the only way that we move the world forward is by taking risks. Um, you know, it is it is taking apart 3D printers and trying to put them back together without any extra pieces. Hey, 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 those are weight savings and aerodynamics, all right? Yeah, but to try to figure out not only what went wrong, but what's right about this printer and what's 
where maybe there's some modifications that can be made or tweaks. Uh, well, no, 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 no. See, if we modify 3D printers, then it is clearly the third-party build plate that you put on and clearly the third-party modification that you made as per staff recommendations that are clearly causing your problems with your extruder. Both of those are clearly the issue that are causing the problem with your extruder. I regret to inform everybody, but that is not the issue. Uh, I'm not salty about some support that I've been receiving lately. No, I'm sorry for derailing you. I'm just so, I'm so frustrated with that, with that answer of, oh, you're dealing with these problems because you did these two things to your printer. Well, you know, and he, and here's a perfect example, and it has nothing to do with the 3D printing industry, but it has to do with the tech industry. I was dealing with one of the, at least in the United States, one of the major players in the cable internet world. I don't know if I know this. And, and I needed to fill out a form and submit it. And the only way I could submit it was by fax or by U.S. Postal Service. And I was like, well, why can't I just email it to you? Well, we don't accept. How can you not accept? You're the large, you're one of the largest providers of internet services in the country. Um, and yet you won't accept an email, but you'll take a fax of which no one has fax machines anymore. No, I think I think. Oh, um, I think my my printer can also be a fax. I I don't I don't have a phone line. Well, that's to, and to that's because that. you yeah. have a a you know a a, a personal printer. Yeah. You know, those of us with with large, we don't have fax capabilities anymore. So this I have guy. to scan it. I didn't know this was I a si get... I didn't know this was a size contest for who has the bigger printer. All right, I'll go get I'll oh, go well, get a bigger printer. <laughs> that's obvious. I'm a father of twins. I have a bigger printer. <laughs> No, it, it, it is true, right? When you look at industrial stuff, it is single-use practicality rather than looking at uh, multi-use, right? I can have a printer, scanner, copier, fax, all that kind of stuff here. But I can also now take a photo of it with my phone. It will crop it to be the right size, and then I can attach that to an email and send it. I don't even need to scan stuff. I don't even know if my scanner works. I know my 3D scanners work. That's always a plus. I should 3D scan a document. So I can, but you can, you can fax through software oh it's a hipaa thing, you know apparently email is not hipaa compliant but fax is sent via email converted to fax then back to email are right there you go there's apparently the reason this, this is why it's fun doing this stuff live we actually get the actual answers to why they couldn't likely do it uh but yeah madcat says medical worker here we fax everything i'm so sorry yeah. madcat you know the sound that and most... tell madcat it had nothing to do with medical yeah, well. It literally was a form for internet service. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I digress. But, you know, I, I think that it it is so important to look at, um, you know, challenging yourself yeah. to doing things that are better. You know, and, and another thing, and I think I said it a year ago, too, is that I think we all need to be much kinder to one another. I just don't think the world today, and again, I'm an old guy and I've seen it come and go both in, you know, the United States and, and internationally. And I've, I've had the pleasure of always working at institutions with large international student populations. Um, and I think especially coming off of the pandemic where it was isolation 
and we have K through 12 students who, you know, for three years weren't even in a classroom or hanging out with other kids and don't know how to interact with one another. And people just need to be genuinely just nicer with one another, mm -hmm. have more patience with one another, support one another, help one another. And if you see somebody who printer, you know, and that's why I sort of love sort of your um, print fix series. electronic network. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. My internet because it's it's about helping one another. It's not really about competing with one another. Yeah, internet friends who my my sons know this because I say this all the time when they say, "Oh, well, my friends said now is this a friend that you've met or that you only know through the internet?" I would like to point out that every podcast now our Discord has a tradition where everyone that's hanging out gets into a you know a call in the Discord where they can talk to each other. In that call, I've got three countries two continents and no less than three separate time zones as well represented in six people so yeah we have a pretty cool group of people i mean ben uh ben cox who's in there is in australia it's 14 hours ahead for him it's 5 30 in the morning ben wakes up early to to come to these i've never met ben and chances are i may not ever but ben is a friend and, you know, these people are my friends. The well, tell, thing well I have. guess I can tell Ben because Ben can hear me. Um, ben, I appreciate <laughs> you getting up so early. But Australia is a place where I've always wanted to go because I've always wanted to ride motorcycles over in Australia. Um, so, you know, I, I said maybe, maybe one of these days, but we'll we'll see what happens. They're, they're all commenting the first rule of Fight Club, apparently. So I'm apparently not supposed to talk about things that go on in my own Discord. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm right. so sorry. Yeah. Way to go. <laughs> it, 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 it's four of them, right? It, it, it's like, you know, most of the chat is is in here. And they're all mods, of course, you know. So it, it, is, it is really cool to see what the world has kind of enabled us and the way that we can stay connected with people that we know you know, that we've known for years and still be able to not have to immediately converse with them, but see what's, you know, on one of the ridiculous internet cesspools like Facebook. You can see what they're doing. Did, you know, did, are they starting a family? Where are they moving to their jobs? And you can get random people messaging you on LinkedIn. And then you can also then go check on people that you care about at the same time. Um, yeah. But, and again, from a college administrator standpoint yeah. it allows me to stay in touch with students and to watch watch them get married have their children have their birthdays you know you've been invited and, and to like, quite a few weddings from students haven't you yeah you 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 gave Even away a, a talking student, part right? in a wedding yeah yeah i was gonna say i you've you've had pretty significant uh parts in weddings of students before well and and both of my boys know the students really have had a significant impact in our lives. So, you know, having, having twin sons and, you know, bringing them back from the hospital to an all women's college that I was working at and having 900 babysitters. I mean, stu yeah, students are important. They are our, our extended family. And there's, there, there, there's so many connections over, the course of my my 40 year career that things like Facebook and LinkedIn allow me to stay connected. And, you know, your mom and I sit around a lot at night and go, oh, you know, I just saw today that so and so's child is at 
nationals for cheerleading camp. Can you believe that? You know, and it's like, oh, man, tell me I don't really feel old now. <laughs> um, you know, when some of my students, kids are getting ready to go to college. Ben said that they have some amazing mountain roads in his backyard. So yeah. I, th I think that means I've, I've always heard. I've always heard it is if you're a motorcycle enthusiast, it's one of the places you want to go ride. See, now we just got to find a way to get a sponsor to pay for this and we integrate 3D printing into it somehow and we can try to get that as a, 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 a as a channel video. That would be fun. Um, it, it, it would be really cool. Oh, apparently Osgood Black says an adjunct 3D printing professor position opened at their local community college. If you think you got the skills, do it. If there was a local community college that had like an adjunct or, or a local college at all that had an adjunct position for a 3D printing professor, I would take that in a heartbeat. That would be so much fun. Um, you know, to be able to hear what it is from people that I can immediately talk to and better understand their issues. It's why we did Print Fix Friday to help, you know, democratize and make easier solving these problems. Yeah. And I think that, that, you know, again, we didn't talk about that at, at, in higher ed, you know, we talked about sort of the makerspace and the people yeah. that may be working within those, but the adjunct teaching positions in all sorts of fields, including 3d printing, um, are great ways that you don't need to have a doctorate to do that, you know, at the undergraduate level. And it's a lot of it typically is based on knowledge and the ability to use whatever equipment the, the institution has. Um, and adjuncting is a, a really effective way on a short-term basis to have a connection um, with students. It is. It is. And with it being Father's Day, do you have any advice for the new dads out there or the soon to be dads out there regarding, uh, you know, what yeah. what things are looking like? Yeah. Prior to having children, I actually had hair and it was black. <laughs> uh, so that that's my that's my advice is <laughs> take care of your hair. Um, no, uh, you know, it's, it's being a, being a parent is a wonderful thing and it, it doesn't, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, it's so much time and it, it, it's so many worries and everything else. And I said, regardless of how old your children are, and I'm not going to call out either Jonathan or Graham on how, on how, oh, how yeah. old they are, I'm 33. Um, <laughs> you know, because I get people all the time or how are the, in fact, I got a text this morning. I was talking with somebody and they were like, how are the boys? And I'm like, oh, you mean the 33-year-old men? <laughs> uh, and we will then, always be the boys to a lot of people. Yeah, okay. and then usually the text back is like, OMG, I'm so old. Uh, <laughs> but it, it is, um, you know, the, the best piece of advice is, is to really look at the balance between personal and professional. And when I talk about balance, it doesn't always mean that the scale is equal because they do vary back and forth, but you have to set time for both because it goes quickly. It goes quickly. I, you know, um, if I had a memory, I'd remember it like it was yesterday, but um, I do remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, you know, my, my kids were tiny and it was like trying not to mix them up. <laughs> Uh, you know, that was that was our biggest chore of the, of the day is make sure that Grant was Grant. And Jonathan was Jonathan. Yep, um, as identical twins, that's a bit of a problem. 
Yeah. So, you know, it, it, that that was our biggest challenge of the day. Um, and it was sheer exhaustion, you know, is exhaustion being being a new parent or going to be a new parent. It's exhausting. So take care of self. And it is sort of that airplane rule, you know, put your oxygen mask on first and then put on um, the oxygen mask of others to help them. You have to take care of self. So that's that's the the first one. The second one is, um, you know, patience. And again, that, that was sort of like with our with our college students, be patient. You have to have patience Yep. and understand that there's good decisions that will be made and there's bad decisions that will be made, but that doesn't change your love for your child. Um, and, and so, you know, again, I, I think that those are important. And then the other thing I will tell you, and I think mom would agree is this too, as your children get older and you have a change in sort of your relationship and, you can go hang out and have lunch and have dinner and do all those types of things and have, you know, adult conversations. Um, it is, it is, it's a lot of fun. Um, and, and so, you know, as my wife and I are looking, you know, coming up on our retirement ages and um, like you're um, going to retire. Well, I am, I'm going to retire. I have, I have a date in mind. Okay. And, 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 you know, you look at that, you go, you know, what, where, what are you going to fill the void with? And you don't want to be a busy body and be in everybody's business. No, but you, you want to make sure that, that, yeah, <laughs> that you have, a, that you have a, a, a relationship that you enjoy doing and, and you hope that it's reciprocal and all those types of things. Yeah. But, you know, new new dads out there, new moms, if you're listening, um, you know, take care of self, enjoy the moment, be patient save your money. Let me repeat that. Save your money. Um, because it costs you money. (laughs) So save your money. Uh, but it's, it's probably the the best thing I've ever done. You know, it, and I didn't really do a lot. (laughs) Uh, you know, it was all my wife, (laughs) but, but I, I learned how to be a good supportive spouse. So, um, you know, even back when they were, when they were twin infants and they were nursing, I mean, nothing I could do. I couldn't even feed them. So I was surely transportation. <laughs> um, you were a good chauffeur. Forth. You do yeah, a good back job. and forth. So, uh, I think that, you know, I, again, it's, it is about family. It's about being kind to one another. It's about understanding that differences will occur. You're not, you're not going to agree with everything you do yourself, let alone with somebody else. Yeah. Um, and think of how difficult it is to change your own habits, try changing someone's else. Yeah. So we need to make sure that we're much more patient. And I, I, I'm still working on that. I, I am. Um, but we, and, and, and then the other thing is, is as they get older, learn how to accept help. And there's been many times um, later on in, in years where, both of our sons have have helped on many projects on a, you know even if it was you know walk the dog or or whatever it might be that once i always remember the hurricane shutters it's like all yeah, right put, put the, the hur- shutters up everyone go down yeah <laughs> put up put up the hurricane shutters help me take them down do yep. this do that um what, whatever it might be but again i i think it's about um understanding that we're all here for a reason and for a purpose. 
Um, we got to have a little more patience with one another. We need to be kinder to one another. And that includes in and outside of our family. Um, we need to embrace difference. We need to open up our hearts and our homes if necessary. And um, just be good human beings. And I, I think that sometimes we get so wrapped up into the minutia of things that we forget about the big picture. You know, it's not all about making sure that bed is level. <laughs> you got to do some other things too. The nozzle has to be hot. This has to work properly. You know, what is it? The the Z axis or something like that. I know it's there's there's another, part of it is being one. is the Z offset is set correctly. Yes. See, see I knew I knew hey, that. You, you know, there's all these other things that have to fall into play yeah. to make sure that you don't have a fixed print Friday. Um, you know, close enough. because <laughs> was it close enough? <laughs> print fix Friday. <laughs> print, print, I know it's something close, but so that you don't have a mess. Yeah. And guess what? If you have a mess, spaghetti happens, figure it, figure it out. Spaghetti happens. Go back to the drawing board. You didn't kill anything and hopefully you didn't burn anything down. Hey, so now it's it, time to retool and make it happen. And on the plus side, if you burned out a printer motherboard, even expensive ones are like a hundred bucks. It's it's not it's not as big of a deal as it could be. And uh, you know, as Rex says, you're as strong as your weakest component. He also says that it's not gray, it's Arctic blonde highlights. Yeah, well, you know, I always tell people, hey, just remember grass doesn't grow on a playground. There you go. Well, Dad, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? Another another Father's Day podcast in the books. This is year three for you. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that Victoria slept through the whole thing. She, um, she's working hard, man. That, that's pretty much, hard. again, good dad advice. <laughs> it's pretty much your children and your grandchildren will sleep through most of what you say. Yeah. Um, I do typically feel, and my, my sons will probably tell you, I'm probably better with other people's kids than I am with my own kids. At least when it comes to patience, I am. Um, and I'll, I'll admit that, but that's, that's common, um, you know, the, again, the, the big piece of advice here is have fun, enjoy, um, promote 3d printing and the, the, the process support one another, help one another and move the system forward. Because those of us in higher education, we really want to see how we can make this work. But right now it's just, too costly of an adventure to really go all in. I mean, again, we have a 3D printing facility, you know, 3D printing um, printers available to students, but it's not like they're in every building that they live in. It's not like they they have, you know, super access to them. Yep. So even if you had 20 on a college campus, if you got 50 people that need to print, that's, you're waiting. And yep. so you all in the, in the, in the field need to keep you know, advancing the profession. Make sure that you educate your parents <laughs> as you're moving forward um, because sometimes we just sort of scratch our heads and go, I don't get it, but <laughs> it pays the bills. So, yep, uh, that's fair. That's fair. Dad, I appreciate it. Also, thank you, Thomas, for for re-upping on the, on the membership. He said, really enjoyed the talk. Thanks for having us. You know my sign out at this point, right? I'm not doing it. You're then. not doing it? All right. Well, this has been season three, episode 39 of the Makey Awesome podcast, the Father's Day special, talking all about 3D printing and education, as well as the back, what, 
almost 40 minutes now being just straight sage dad advice. Thank you all for coming out. Stay safe out there. Don't forget to call your loved ones. And as always, keep making awesome. Have a good one.